Okay, now if you're visiting us tonight or if you've not been to the church recently, I should probably explain that it's been quite an unusual day for London City Presbyterian Church. Uh, this weekend we have had uh, what is called a presbytery oversight visit. Every time I say that I think oh, it sounds very fancy, doesn't it? A presbytery uh, oversight uh, visit. But really it means that we've had representatives from presbytery come visit the congregation. Men who have come really maybe to assess the ministry, get to know the congregation a little bit better, and men who are going to report on their findings to other ministers, sort of north of the border. So you get it, a presbytery oversight visit. Well, now that that visit is essentially effectively coming towards an end, I suppose there are a couple of ways that we in the congregation can respond, ways we can respond to the visit this weekend, but also the subsequent report. Because isn't it true we could ignore the presbytery oversight visit and its subsequent report? We could, couldn't we? I mean, we could go into work tomorrow and we could kind of forget about this weekend. We could just pretend that none of this uh, happened, that spiritually speaking, we are left kind of unaffected. We don't assess anything. We could ignore it, I think. That's one response. Would you agree? We could do that. But there is another response, isn't there, friends? Because isn't it true that this presbytery visit is a wonderful opportunity for every one of us in here to undertake what we might call a spiritual health check of our own lives. Now, you you see what I mean by this, don't you? Given that these men have come down here to, to look at the health of the community, health of the congregation, shouldn't we? Mustn't we kind of follow that up and actually ask some pretty pressing questions of ourselves, not just of the community at large, but ourselves. Questions like, hang on, am I really serving the Lord Jesus Christ at this point in my life? Am I? Is my focus as a Christian on the lost just now? I mean, am I really living in every single area of my life? Am I living for the glory of my God? You see, the presbytery oversight visit, wonderful opportunity for self-assessment. Well, tonight, here's the plan. We're going to look at this portion of scripture that we've read together in 1 Samuel. And I think it's a portion of scripture that will really help us uh, to evaluate ourselves, to be honest with ourselves spiritually. Because if you were here last week, you remember shenanigans that have been going on in 1 Samuel. Do you remember? Saul, last week, hiding amongst the baggage and having to be dragged out and then crowned king. Well, here tonight, we see his first real challenge as king. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see in here the great, the pressed need that LCPC has. But we're also going to see, I think, the wonderful things that God can do in this place through you and through me. So spiritual assessment, okay? Now, as we turn to the text, the first thing that I think we are shown here remarkably 
is LCPC's great need. That's the first thing. London City Presbyterian Church's great need is before us in 1 Samuel chapter 11. So what do I mean? Well, if you were here earlier in the sermon series, you remember that the people of Israel have been facing this great problem from the Philistine army. So if you go back, chapters 3, chapters 4, there's this great threat to the people of God coming from the west. Okay. Now, as we enter into this section of scripture tonight, what we find is a new threat. This time, there's a threat from the east. That this man called Nahash the Ammonite, that he's moved in, that he's besieged, he sacked the city of Jabesh Gilead. Now, here's what I'm hoping. Okay, I'm hoping as Adrian read out those verses, and you consider Nahash, you're thinking, what a horrible man Mr. Nahash sounds. Would you not agree? Because do you see what he wants to do? Despite the fact that the citizens of Jabesh Gilead want to surrender. Man, he's only going to accept that surrender if he gets to, do you see what it is? If he gets to gouge out all of their right eyes. Now that is horrific. But maybe you're also thinking that that's, that seems a bit random and bizarre. Like why the right eye? Why, why not he wants to gouge out an eye? Why not the left eye? Why not both of their eyes? Maybe a little background will help us here. Now, now get this. On the battlefield, ancient world, it was expected that a warrior would cover his left side with a shield. Now, do you, do you get that picture? I mean, it's, it's not difficult to imagine me as a, as a warrior in the ancient world, I'm sure. But, but you see the picture, do you? A warrior, he covers his left eye on the battlefield with a shield. What does he do with his right eye? He scans the battlefield. You see it? He's looking for the enemy. So do you see what Nahash is doing? By gouging out their right eyes, he's rendering all of these people redundant. He's rendering all of the men of Jabesh Gilead effectively ever more subservient to the Ammonite clans. It's actually as brutal, as brutal, but it's actually quite clever, isn't it? And did you notice how disgustingly confident he was? Because the people, they, they cry out to him, Look, give us seven days, have a little bit of mercy, give us seven days to try and find some help. And how confident is he? He says, you want seven days? You're just the people of Yahweh. You want seven days? You can have your seven days. Now let's pause there for a moment. Let's work at this together. If we try to define the people of Israel's great need at that very point, what would we say? We think about that threat. Think about the backstory we saw. What, what would we, maybe, I think we would say, wouldn't we, they need their king. They? Isn't that what we say, that they need Saul to man up a bit and to save them? And, you know, effectively, that's kind of what happens, isn't it? Saul hears of this awful threat to Jabesh and he musters the troops and do you see he goes to town on the, the, the Amalites, he goes to town on them. But I want you to understand this tonight, that the main message of this section 
is a bit more nuanced and it's a bit more precise than those people needed their king. But for me to show you it, we're going to have to be on the ball. We've had a long day, we've had meetings, we've had a lot of food as a congregation. But I wonder this, I wonder if you remember when we spoke about chiasms in Scripture. Does that ring a bell? When an author in the Bible, when he structures a text to draw your attention to the main point. Do you remember what he does, what a chiasm was? It's when an author starts on either side of a text. Starts at the beginning and the end of a text. And what he does, he now, get this, he uses pairs of language, pairs, and he works inwards. And he keeps working inwards using pairs until he gets to the center and that's the diamond. That's the main message of the text. You see it using pairs, working from the outside inwards, to the heart of the message. And I want you to see that's what the author does here. And it's beautiful when you see it. <laughs> Honestly, it is. Have a look at the end of verse 3. And what does he say? He says, we will give ourselves up to you. Now, look at the end. Look at verse 10. What do you see? We will give ourselves up to you. What do you have? You've got your external peer. Now what do we have to do? We have to work in the way. So we were in verse 3. Let's go to verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. It speaks of messengers to Saul, doesn't it? Now have a look at verse 9. What do you see? You see another pair. You see messengers from Saul. And then get the last pair. We're working in the way. So we're into verse 5. It's about the response to Saul. And guess what happens? Look at verse 7 and 8. It deals with the response to Saul. Do you see the point, friends? Everything in this is structured to tonight draw your attention to one verse. One phrase, one critical, critical phrase that you see in verse 6. What is that about? It's about the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, you see the point? This section, the point here isn't that these people needed a king. What's the point of the section? These people needed an empowered king. What's the message of this chapter? It's not just that they needed Saul. It's that these people's greatest need was the power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Now tonight, as we look at that, surely we see how relevant and pertinent that is to London City Presbyterian Church. We've just had the Presbytery Oversight visit. And you know what it's like. For the last number of weeks and the last number of months, there's been all manner of ideas bandied about in, in the congregation about the future, about what we should do. And... You know, maybe that's the case in here tonight. Maybe you in here, maybe all of us in here have got our ideas, we've got our notions about what is best for this congregation going forward. That what we need is a new man. <laughs> maybe I think that. Or maybe what we need is a new style of leadership or better elders. We need better methods. We need better accommodation. Maybe we think that. We, we need new strategies and so forth. Do you see what God is doing? 
You see in the text? This evening he confronts us with what our most pressing need is as a congregation. And what does he say to us? We too, just like these people, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in this place. That is our most pressing need. The greatest need here is the work of Almighty God. And if we think about that practically, maybe you look at me and say, but Andy, we know this. But the Holy Spirit's mysterious. And the Holy Spirit's random, Andy. The Holy Spirit moves about. He goes where he pleases. There's nothing that we can do to engender a work of God in this place. Are you thinking that tonight? Surely there is one verse of scripture that screams out to our congregation. Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus speaks to his people. Listen to what he says. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Isn't it so beautifully simplistic? The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, saying effectively to His people, to London City Presbyterian Church, do we want the Holy Spirit? What do we do? We ask God. So I have a rather predictable challenge for you, friends. This week, will you not do just that? That over the next seven days, will we not, as a congregation, plead with God to send the Spirit amongst us? Will we not do that? Because, what do we know? We, like these people, are in a battle. Isn't that the case in London? We are in a battle with evil, and it's a battle requiring the power of Almighty God. We see here, LCPC's great need. The second thing we see in these verses, though, friends, is LCPC's great encouragement. LCPC's great encouragement. If you were... uh, not here uh, last week, and I know that's the case for, for some of you. If you were not here, maybe there is a question banging around in your brain just now. Looking at this, reading the text, thinking, the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God is at work in Saul's life? Does that mean then that Saul was a converted man? I mean, is that what we're dealing with here? Is this the account of the salvation of Saul? Well, what we looked at, what we saw last week, was that no, that's not the case. The actual, the language of the text suggests not conversion at all, but suggests an equipping of Saul for one specific task. Now, that still raises a question. It's a question, I think, for all of us. It's the question, well, what is the Holy Spirit really doing then? Saul. Like, yes, okay, he's, he's making Saul into, you know, a king, but, but how? Like, what exactly? What is the nature of the Spirit's work in this man's life? And what does that mean for the Spirit's work in us and here? Well, get this. I think what the author does very deliberately is he gives you and me three clues as to what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in Saul's life. Three clues So let's put the pieces together. Let's try and get three clues. The first is in the way that the Spirit's work is described. So I'd invite you to look at that. Would you look at verse 6? Very unusual. Look at it, verse 6. 
How's the Spirit's work described? The Spirit of God rushed upon. So you're with me, aren't you? If you know your Bible, that's an unusual. That is language used only of one other person in the whole of Scripture. And it's used of Samson. Now, my question to you is, which book of the Bible do we find Samson? The book of Judges. You remember that? That's our first clue. Second clue, though, is in what Saul goes on to do. So you see the picture here. The spirit rushes upon Saul. How would you describe Saul's mood? He's furious. Isn't he? He's raging. And he takes his oxen, and it's brutal again, isn't it? He slices up, cuts up his oxen, and look at the language. He sends the pieces throughout the entire land. (gasps) Exactly the same language as in our first reading. Very deliberate from the author. Where was our first reading? The book of Judges. Third clue is in Saul's military strategy. So Saul's furious. He musters all of this army at Abezek. And in the early hours of the morning, they go into the Ammonite camp and they slaughter these people. They kill these people. But how? Look at verse 11. How does he do it? He splits his army into three units, three companies. Does that sound familiar to us? Who else did this? Gideon. Gideon separates, very deliberate, separating his army into into three parts. Gideon in the book of Judges. Do you see? Do you see the point here? Do you see what the author is saying to us? It's not just that the Spirit has equipped Saul. It's more than that. It's the Spirit has made him a mighty, mighty warrior, a fearsome warrior, a warrior, just like the judges of old. I think that's... Incredible, isn't it? That here we have now Saul being raised by the Spirit into this hero, like the, the heroes of all the heroes of Judges. But, but, isn't it all the more incredible when you tonight consider who Saul was? Because look at verse 4. The author stresses verse 4 in the language. Where is Saul from? Oh. Friend, do you recognize that? Name of that town? Do you? It's the name of the town from the first reading. Now that town full of sexually immoral men. That town full of utter perversity. It's such a disgusting episode. A twin town with Sodom and Gomorrah, it would seem. That's Saul's hometown. Do you understand? That's his people. Those are his relations. This is the person the Holy Spirit is is, is using. And then you consider Saul's personality. Because friends, what did we see last week? We saw that Saul was a coward hiding amongst the baggage. You remember this? An unwilling, reluctant king. And what has the Spirit done? Used a man like that? To turn him into this fighting machine. A man who was hopeless, pathetic and weak. And now the spirit builds him up into this almighty warrior. Isn't it incredible? And isn't it also the most 
precious encouragement to the saints at London City Presbyterian Church. Because friends, even if we assess our spiritual walk tonight, many of us might think, Christian service is not for me. And is that where you've got to this evening? Christian service is not for me. Are you thinking that your age disqualifies you? Do you think that your lack of time is a stumbling block? Do you think your sinful history rules you out of Christian service? What is God saying to us through Saul? He's saying that the Holy Spirit can use you for the glory of his great name. That, listen, no matter your shyness, no matter your limitations, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your disposition, that as God has done with Saul, the Holy Spirit can use you to fight the battles of the kingdom of God. I mean, isn't that an encouragement to us? Isn't it also, though, this great spur to Christian service? What do we see in First Samuel 11? If he can use Saul, God can use... He can use you. So we see LCPC's great need. We see LCPC's great encouragement. And then we end. Third thing. We see here, LCPC's goal. Maybe you're wondering, why on earth uh, didn't earlier on in the sermon, in the service, why on earth did we not just read 1 Samuel chapter 11 and then get on with it? Why, you may be wondering, did we read the last section of chapter 10? It wasn't a mistake. Um, The end of... Chapter 10 is critical for our understanding of what happened here. See, if you were here last week, you'll remember exactly what happened. They crowned, they crowned Saul king. And what was the response? Do you remember? There was division in the camp. So some people last week in 1 Samuel 10, some people sided with Saul as king. Some people thought this is wonderful. We'll go with so God touched their hearts. You remember? But what was true of other people? They stood against Saul. Uh, scripture called them, you remember literally, sons of Belial. Remember this? They stood against him. They opposed Saul as king. They doubted his power to deliver and his power to save. Now, as we come into our last section this evening, you see that there's a disagreement about what to do with these doubters. Have a look at verse 12. What did the people want to do? In the wake of this great victory by Saul, they want to kill anyone who doubts Saul. They just, if you doubted Saul, you're getting put to death. That was what they wanted to do. But you see, friends, Samuel does something different. It's marvelous. Samuel takes all of the people and he decamps them to a place called Gilgal. So it's a nearby town. Try and imagine it. All of the people of Jabesh Gilead, all of the soldiers, all of the warriors, all before Samuel. What does he do? He makes all of the people of Israel worship God. He makes all sacrifice to their God. But here is the important thing. Do not miss this. Look at verse 14. What does he make them do? They 
what's the word? Renew the kingdom. Now let's not get this wrong. What do you think of when you read those verses that they renewed the kingdom? If you're anything like me when I first read that, you're thinking that they kind of renew Saul as king before God. Yeah? Like the idea of a second coronation before God. That sort of idea, renew the... It's not that. It's not that. See, the stress of the language, the emphasis of the language here, it is all on the unity of the people of God. Do you see what happens at Gilgal? There is a call to renew allegiance to Saul. That's what it's about. Samuel brings in the doubters. He brings in all of the people everywhere. And what does he say to them? Recommit yourselves. Rededicate yourself to your deliverer. Rededicate yourselves before your king, before God. And surely again at night we see how apt a message that is for London City Presbyterian Church. Because what is God showing you at the end of the Presbytery Oversight Visit? He shows you the goal for our church. He shows you what it's all about. And what is it that Yahweh wants for London City Presbyterian Church? What does our triune God want? He wants the same as that. He wants us to be a community of faith. He wants us to be a perfectly united community of faith. But he wants us to be united behind our deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Christ. And if tonight you are a Christian in here, surely you see why. Surely when you look at 1 Samuel 11, you see, you see, don't you? You see what Christ has done for us. Think about this portion of scripture, friend. Please. You understand that we too faced the greatest enemy. That you and I as Christians were under the same sentence as these people. That because of our sin, that we faced an eternity of spiritual blindness, didn't we? And what has happened for us? Hmm? Out of the most unlikely of towns, not Gilbea, but Nazareth, a deliverer. The deliverer has come for us. And what sort of deliverer is he? Yes, he is an empowered king. What does Jesus say at the beginning of his ministry? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what has our king done for us, Christian friends? He has provided deliverance. Isn't that it? We've been rescued, rescued from condemnation, rescued all through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what must we do now? We've got to do this. Friends, we too have to rally together. That's it, isn't it? The London City Presbyterian Church. We must renew tonight our allegiance to our Deliverer, our King, to do it in worship as these people did, and to do it before the Lord our God. That's the challenge. Now, the Presbytery Oversight visit has been good for us, I think. Hear this. Let it ultimately lead to an assessment of your heart before God this evening. Let it lead to a greater allegiance to your King. But most of all, above all of those things, 
let even this weekend lead to wholehearted worship of our Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.